Well, I want you to take your Bible. Turn with me this morning to uh, Ruth chapter 1. For those of you who are with us as guests, we are involved on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights through the summer on a series that we're calling Learning from the Testimonies of Old Testament Men and Women. And this morning, we're going to look at Ruth. And if Ruth was here with us today, and she was to give her testimony, there are some critical things that she would tell us about what it means to be redeemed. Redemption, to be redeemed, is one of the important Bible words in our salvation. It means to buy back from the slavery of sin and Satan. It means to be set free from the power of sin. It means to become a possession of God. Let me give you just three important background verses. The first one is, uh, is Mark 10, 45, where Jesus said, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now that word ransom means the, the buying back of those of us, all of us who were slaves to sin and under the power of the God of this world, Satan. And then Ephesians 1-7 tells what the price is that Jesus paid for our redemption. He says, in him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of our trespasses. And so Jesus came to ransom us through his blood to redeem us, and he came to redeem us unto himself. In second and first Corinthians 9. Verses 19 and 20. Paul talks about how redemption applies to each of our lives. He was talking about the immorality of the, uh, the Corinthians. And, and he, he says to them, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit whom you have of God? You are not your own. You don't belong to you anymore, for you have been bought with a price. The blood of Jesus that ransomed you from your sin, you've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. And so redemption is a key biblical concept in our salvation. And, and in the Old Testament, Ruth is the great illustration of redemption. In fact, Ruth has been one of my favorite books since 48 years ago. I uh, read uh, M.R. Dehan's book, a little commentary on Ruth, entitled The Romance of Redemption. Ruth only has 85 verses, but we could just spend weeks and weeks unpacking it. Uh, but we're just going to have to hit the high points this morning. So I want you to read with me here in Ruth 1, starting in verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, 
there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. And his wife and his two sons, the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons were Malon and Chilon. They were Ephraites of, from Bethlehem of Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Oprah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Chilon died, so that the woman was left without her uh, two sons and husbands. As we look at the book of Ruth, I think there are really three things that Ruth would tell us about redemption. First, she would tell us that the worst of times can be the best of times to lead us to redemption. It was the worst of places that you could have imagined that these verses we read just took place. It was in Moab. Now, Moab was about a hundred miles southeast of Jerusalem on the other side of the Dead Sea. But it was not uh, what would be considered a vacation spot for uh, an Israelite because Moab was a pagan land. They uh, worshipped an idol god, a false god by the name of Shermosh, and, and at different times they would in need offer child sacrifices to this false idol god. They did the most despicable things. It was a place of great sin, of great paganism. It was at the worst of times that Ruth takes place. It is at uh, the time of the judges. Verse 1 just said, in the days when the judges ruled. And the book of Judges talks about the spiritual low point in the life of Israel. When a generation had uh, arisen that did not know the Lord and there was no king in Israel, they did not acknowledge God's kingship and because there wasn't an earthly king, they lived in total uh, self-abandonment and every man did what was right in his own eyes. And it's in this context that the book of Ruth takes place. It's the worst of times for Ruth's family. In these verses that we read, you have uh, this man, Elimelech, who because of a famine in Judah comes to Moab with his family and, and he dies. And his two sons are left and they marry Moabitess women, which would be a, a, a contradiction of, a disobedience of the word of God. But they marry. 
One of them marries a, 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 a Moabitess woman by the name of Orphra. The other married Ruth. And soon, after ten years, these two boys die. And so Ruth has lost her father-in-law, her brother-in-law, and her husband. It was the worst of times for Ruth personally. Because being widowed in those days meant no hope. And so the, the whole setting that you, you find in these first uh, seven verses have, 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 have a, a darkness about them. But here is the important point. It is the bad news that leads us to the good news. Many of you have uh, been trained in witnessing to go through the Romans road, and you know that the heart of the good news is in Romans 5, 8. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But before you get to that good news, you have to go back to the bad news. That's Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. The penalty of sin is death. And when someone believes the bad news, the good news is the best news. And so it is for Ruth. Because as Ruth has lived with her husband and with Naomi, she would have watched as they observed the Passover. And she would have learned from them the story of God redeeming Israel out of the Egyptian bondage. As she has lived with Ruth and seen Ruth go through the heartache of losing a husband and then losing her uh, sons, she saw the reality of faith in Naomi's life. And that brings her to the place of decision. How many of you know that life is made up of decisions. Some people make bad decisions that have bad consequences. Some people make horrible decisions to say no to Jesus that have eternal consequences. Other people make good decisions that will lead them to knowing Jesus. That's what happens here. After, in chapter 1, uh, the, the husband and the sons have died. Naomi says she is going to go back to Bethlehem. And her two daughter-in-laws, Orpha and Ruth, say, we're going to go with you. And Ruth says, I mean, Naomi says, no. You stay here and you get married again. What good would it come for you to come with me? I, I, I'm old. I can't have any more sons. And even if I had sons, would you wait for them to grow up? You'll live as widows all of your life if you come with me. And so they are faced with a decision. Orpha makes the decision 
that she's going to stay in Moab. We're not told what happened to her, but I'll tell you what happened. She married a Moabite man, and they lived in that pagan country, and because of the decision that she makes, she will never know salvation or redemption in her life. But Ruth, on the other hand, makes a decision. And she says to Ruth, I'm going with you. I don't care what it means. I am going with you. And, and you have one of the great statements in the Bible, in, in, in Ruth uh, 1, 18, uh, or in verse 19, it says, But Ruth said to Naomi, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you, for where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more, if anything but death parts me from you. And so she makes this decision. You, you know what she's really saying to Ruth? in these words, this, this initial decision, that's the first step to her redemption. She's saying to Ruth, Ruth, I mean, she's saying to Naomi, Naomi, I see something in your life that I need in my life. Would to God that other people would watch our lives would watch how we live day to day, hear the words that we speak, observe how we do business, watch us in our families, see us how we act in public and how we live in private and say to us, you have something in your life that I need in my life. That's what's going on. And so the worst of time becomes the best of times because it leads Ruth to making the first steps toward redemption. Now, the second thing that Ruth would tell us is that grace draws the heart toward redemption. You say, wait a minute, we're saved by grace, aren't we? We are saved by grace, all of us. Ephesians uh, uh, 2.8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, uh, not of works, lest any man should boast. Everybody that is saved is saved by grace. But did you know that before you were saved, God gave you grace? The theologians call it preventative grace. And preventative grace simply says that God didn't judge you immediately as you and I deserve for our sins. He gave us grace. He withheld judgment. Let me give you a great verse. Second Peter 3.9. Peter is dealing with those folks who say, uh, you know, when, when, when is Jesus going to come? I mean, we've heard the promise of his coming uh, all of our lives. He hadn't come. We don't believe he's going to come. And, and Peter responds. And he says, God is not slow 
concerning his promise as, as men count slowness, but is patient, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, how many of you know that God was patient with you before you were saved? He was real patient with me. How many of you know that God was patient, is patient with you after you saved? That's just grace. That's what the theologians call preventative grace, the patience of God. And you see that unfold in, in Ruth 2 and 3, in the second and third chapter. And, and I wish we could read it, but we just don't have time. Let me, let me give it to you what happens. When you get into chapter 2, Ruth is destitute. She doesn't have anything. I mean, she comes with Naomi to, uh, to Bethlehem, and when they get there, they don't have a dime to their needs. I want you to know all of us in our sins are destitute. Nothing that we can do to bring about our salvation. Not only was she destitute, but she was desperate. How in the world is she going to live? And that leads to her becoming dependent. Because in those days when the time of the harvest came, it was the custom that uh, the, uh, the reapers would leave behind a little grain for the widows. So in each of the fields, the widows, didn't have any husband, had, didn't have any means of support, like Ruth, destitute, desperate, would go and gather the gleamings that were left behind. Now Ruth is an alien and a stranger to Israel. And now she's reduced to being a slave and a servant. And she's just living. She goes out the first day. She comes back. Naomi said, where did you go? She said, well, I went into the field of a man by the name of Boaz. And uh, Naomi says, he's one of our redeemers. He's one of our kinsmen. He said, Goel, he is our kinsman redeemer. And so he goes, she goes back. And Boaz asks who she is, and she tells him that she is the wife of Malon, the daughter-in-law of Elimelech, and, 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 and Boaz is, is kin to Elimelech. And, and so Boaz says to her, don't go to anybody else's field. I'll take care of you. Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, is a godly man. I, 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 I love when you get to, to uh, uh, chapter uh, 3 and it, it talks about Boaz and, and that he is a righteous man and that he is a good, godly man. He's a generous man. 
He instructs his guys, don't just leave the gleamings. Just don't leave a little sprinkling. You leave a lot of grain behind for Ruth. And then he's gentle with her. He treats her with great dignity. He just showed grace upon top of grace upon top of grace. And that drew Ruth's heart in humble love for him. She goes at night and she uncovers his feet and she lays there. Picture of repentance. Picture of absolute dependence. And Boaz wakes up in the morning and he sees her. And he's startled. <clears throat> and he says to her, there's another kinsman closer than I who has the right to redeem. If he does not, I will redeem you. Now the other kinsman is a picture of the law. And the law cannot redeem. The law cannot save. So her heart is turned to Boaz. And that brings us to chapter 4. And the last thing that Ruth would tell us about what it means to be redeemed, she would tell us that the sweetest song that you can sing is, I am redeemed. Because you get to chapter 4, and Boaz goes public. And he exercises the right of the kinsman redeemer. And he pays the price to buy back Ruth from her desperate situation and make her his own. Now I want you to know, Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, is one of the great, pictures of Jesus in the Old Testament as our Redeemer. Because there were three requirements for the kinsman Redeemer. First of all, he had to be near kin. There had to be blood relative. That is the incarnation of the Lord Jesus. Every Christmas, you and I look at that beautiful nativity scene of the baby laying in the manger, but do you realize what is taking place there? That the eternal Son of God, who had existed forever and ever and ever in the glory of being fully God with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, would step off of the throne of glory to be made in the fashion of a man, to become one of us. When you look at that, that nativity scene, 
you don't see a baby with a halo around his head. You see a real baby. He's fully God, but he is fully man. Dear kinsmen, Jesus came to be one with us, one of us. Two, the kinsman redeemer had to have the price to pay for redemption. That's the sinless life of Jesus, who though he were found in the fashion of a man and he was tempted at all points just as we are, he did it without sin. And then he had, the kinsman redeemer had to be willing to pay the price of redemption. And Jesus gave his life. No man took it. We sing that song, he could have called 10,000 angels. I want you to know, he didn't need 10,000 angels. He's going to just speak the word and destroy everybody that was going to crucify him. But he laid down his life. Next Sunday, we'll observe the Lord's Supper. And we'll look at the broken body and the shed blood that says he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquity, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. All we like sheep have gone astray, and the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all, and Jesus paid the price for our redemption through his death on the cross. He is the Redeemer. The kinsman Redeemer just as a picture and a promise of the great Redeemer that was to come. And so Ruth was redeemed. And it, her salvation is marvelous. She went from being an alien and a stranger, a servant and a slave, to becoming a part of the family of God. And, and, and that changed everything for Ruth. I mean, her whole life changes. In fact, Ruth and Boaz are going to have a son, and they're going to name him Obed. And Obed's going to grow up, and he's going to have a son, and he's going to name him Jesse. And Jesse's going to grow up, and he's going to have a son, and he's going to name him David, and he's going to be the king. But more than King David, Ruth is involved in the coming of King Jesus. You look to Matthew 1 and the genealogy of Jesus. Two women who are mentioned in the genealogy. Unusual because genealogy is always through the man, but Rahab and Ruth are mentioned in the genealogies of Jesus. Wow. What elevation redemption brings. No wonder Ruth would say, the sweetest song that you can sing is I am redeemed. Seems like all I could see was the struggle Haunted 
by ghosts that lived in my past bound up in shackles of all my failures wondering how long is this gonna last then you look at this prisoner and say to me son stop fighting a fight that's already been won i am redeemed you said So I'll shake off these heavy chains, wipe away every stain. I'm not who I used to be. I am redeemed. What would Ruth say to you? She will say, if you're not redeemed, today is the day to be redeemed. Today's the day to come to Jesus. Who loved you, gave his life for you, to give his life to you. Not because you deserve it, but because of his extraordinary love and grace for you. I pray nobody will leave this building unredeemed. And then the invitation, if you are redeemed, to live like the redeemed. <laughs> You've been set free. And I want you to know it's so important that other people would look at you and say, I need the Jesus who changes your life, changes your marriage, changes how you talk, Changes how you do business. Changes everything about you. You and I struggle with sin, but I want you to know you've been redeemed. It, sin doesn't have the power anymore. Jesus lives in you. So here's what we're going to do. Just a moment. We're just going to sing, I, I've been redeemed together. Mike and I will be right here at the front. If you're here, you need to trust Jesus today. Don't hesitate. We're talking about the decision that's between life and death. Eternal life, eternal death. Abundant life, living apart from God and dying without Him. I want you to come to Jesus. Folks, if you and I were better advertisement, more people would be coming to him. There's some of you that just need to deal with some issues in your life. You can do it where you are seated. You might need to do it here in the prayer altar. Some of you need to become a part of this church family, committed to sharing the message of redemption with win. And you come. Lord, you speak that hearts will respond to you in Jesus' name. Amen.